0: Ezekiel chapter one. Now the setting for this is uh, in Babylon. So Ezekiel was one of the exiles who were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's approximately five years after he was taken and he's 30 years old and he's sitting by an irrigation canal in a refugee camp in Babylon. In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kiba River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kiba River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. I looked. And I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And all four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. And their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. And on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox, and each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upward, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches, Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright, and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning, and as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike, Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome and all four rims were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved and when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go. And the wheels would rise along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the spirit of the creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out towards the other and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings and there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above on the throne was the figure like that of a man. I saw from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. He said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. Well, as he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me up to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and though you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people you must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Thanks, John.
1: Great, as I said, it's great to be back here among you and um, I've got on good authority that Chris is gonna be drawing that vision next week I'm preaching it this week. He's drawing it. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) That's right. Of course, now that I'm working, uh, you know, in a para-church ministry organisation, you know, Trinity Pastors are just picking the passages they really, really do not want to preach themselves. Hey, come and do this one. Sure. So here we are. Um, So I'm going to pray. Pray for me, but pray for all of us as we get into this fantastic part of God's Word. Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ and Spirit of the living God, this is such a a big and beautiful part of your word. We just pray now that you would please uh, help me uh, to do that justice. But please, by your Spirit, will you lead us deep uh, into the glories that are here for each of us this morning? And as you do that, will you mercifully, by your grace, Give us that instruction that we need, the conviction we need, that we might turn and be turned. And that we might all leave here trusting you more, more eager, with more courage, to be the people you've saved us to be, for your glory, Lord, and for the good of the lost around us in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, out visiting with Stephen George. few weeks ago now, and he he said, oh, have you read this book, Being the Bad Guys? How to Live for Jesus uh, in a World that Says You Shouldn't. He's got everyone in his church reading this great little book. And it is an excellent little book. I started reading and I just kept reading it. It took me an hour. Um, Australian church planner, Steve McAlpine, he's written it. He's a great social commentator. Uh, He planted a church over um, just outside of Perth. He writes to help local churches and Christians live faithfully for Jesus in a world that increasingly says, let's face it, that we shouldn't. Um, uh, That You think about it, and some of us maybe are old enough to know and remember those days where actually being a Christian, you're sort of seen as being one of the good guys, you know, or or girls. Um, You know, Lord's Prayer said in Parliament, you know, in schools, God being taught in schools. um, But here we are, 20 years into the 21st century, and like that storm that blew through, don't know if it blew through up here, down at, um we've just moved down to Waldinga Beach to uh, hopefully be part of a new church plan in the coming years down, down there. Um, but it was like, wow, it was phenomenal. It was awesome. It was so powerful. Um, and it'd be like that storm, there's a new weather front that, that, that's arriving and probably already arrived for Christians. We're increasingly followers of Jesus. As seen as the bad guys or girls in the room. Um, you know, we've had the Israeli flouting uh, last year, wasn't it, you know, speaking up, taking a stand, you know, bad, bad, bad for business and for, and for the backers and for the shareholders. Um, you, if you're a Christian, you've either got to stay silent, toe the company line, or suffer the consequences of being cancelled. And, and, and the cancel culture that is out there, it is horrible, it's, it, lives are being destroyed. And so we're increasingly seeing that if you're a Christian and we're just out and we happen to be in a room and there's a conversation going about you know, marriage or sexuality or identity or sanctity of life or all sorts of things and you, you try to sort of contribute, I mean, suddenly you are the outlier. You're the bad guy or girl in the room. Um, we're on the, increasingly the wrong side of the issues, uh, the, the, the very ethics from Scripture that have really helped to shape our society here over hundreds of years. And let's face it, as this weather front comes at us, who wants to be an outlier? None of us enjoy being a social leper. Um, who wants to be seen as the bad person in the room? Who wants to lose family or friendships um, or even lose a job over these things? I mean, it's tiring, demoralising, being, being seen to be, you know, oh, you're so divisive, what do you need to keep you know, going on about that stuff? I mean, surely it's just easy if we're just willing just to compromise just a little bit. I mean, not a lot, just a little bit. You know, just to sort of fit in. Like, can't you just be quiet, stay silent? And... Well, that's why Steve's written this book. Because one of the things Steve is even better than a social commentator, he's a great Bible man. And, and what he does is he just takes us so helpfully to Scripture, and actually a couple of Old Testament books, actually, some minor prophets, to, to show us that, look, this has been coming at God's people, uh, what we're experiencing. you know, This is like um, you know, bread and butter stuff in the Bible. And, and there's so much help in there for us, instruction and encouragement to help us to be the best bad guy or girl in whatever room we find ourselves for the sake of the lost and the sake of God's glory that we actually don't have to compromise, and it's why God's timeless message to his people in books like Ezekiel was so helpful. It's why actually, um, it actually has been such a gift, seriously, by Chris to ask us to preach on this passage of scripture um, with just the stuff going on in our lives day to day. But just to help us for a few minutes to understand why this book is going to be helpful for, for you guys in the coming weeks, let's just jump in the, the, the time travel machine. We're going to go back 600 years before Christ to Ezekiel in his times. And as the following graphic shows us, um, it's a time of great flux. There is all sorts of stuff going on uh, in Ezekiel's world. You'll see you've got the death of King Josiah there in 628 BC. Now, he was a good king, the last of the good kings. But with his death, so begins the demise and the deportations and destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. It's all set in motion. Um, uh, and, And sadly, with Josiah's death, Uh, Judah and her leaders, they double down on ditching God and being like the nations. And so God, he raises up a pagan king called Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. They take over to be the world power of the day, but they are in fact his instrument of judgment that he's raised up to bring on a straying and sinning Jerusalem and Judah. And so begins 70 years of captivity that's prophesied by Jeremiah. Now, just like uh, the shepherd, chasing after his lost sheep in Luke 15. How determined and long-suffering is God's love to send not one, but three, three prophets to exhort his people to turn, to turn from their compromising sinful ways and save themselves from the judgment that is coming on them. you got... Jeremiah there, he's in Jerusalem for the 40 years until its destruction. You've got Ezekiel, he's 18 years old when Nebuchadnezzar turns up for the first time to Jerusalem and takes captives back. And among that group was Daniel and three of his mates. Then you've got uh, King Jehoiakim, he becomes king. He decides to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar turns up with an even bigger army the second time and 10,000 people are taken back to Babylon, included with those is Ezekiel. Now, here's another graphic, just to orientate us geographically. You've got Jeremiah there, seeing in Jerusalem. Uh, you've got Daniel, he's over in Babylon. And you've got Ezekiel, he's down there um, by the canals in this sort of refugees, pseudo-slave camp there, um, but by the canals of, um, of Kedar. So that's, that's sort of what's going on. And that's why we read in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, that it's in the 13th year. In the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the the exiles by the Kiba Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kiba Canal and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Uh, it's one of the few prophetic books that's actually chronological. You can read it. It's chronological, uh, and I do encourage you to do that in the coming weeks. But we're now five years into exile. Ezekiel, he's sitting um, on the banks um, there in the irrigation canal. He's obviously gone away, probably um, by himself, to have maybe a, a bit of a think. Um, but you've got thousands of people there um, squatting in a refugee camp. And, and this very day, is Ezekiel's 30th birthday. Now, that's a really significant day and birthday for Ezekiel. He spent decades training to be a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. He's a long way from Jerusalem. And he's meant to be commissioned and start that vocation on his 30th birthday. And so it's this day that God decides to rigorously disrupt Ezekiel with an incredibly dangerous call and commission. It, this is no romanticised missionary calling, is it? I mean, he's among his despairing people. Um, they're, they're displaced from, from family, from anyone familiar. Um, all, all the sort of the buildings, the signs, the rituals, there's none of that. So then, you know, they're not singing, you know, hey, Ezekiel, it's your birthday. Today you're one more year. I mean, they're not singing that song. <laughs> um, but now, out of their suffering and the angry complaints and wondering if God has given up on them, Uh, chapter 3, verse 14, they're singing a very different song. They're singing, you know, songs of lament, like Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Of course, a psalm made famous by? Boney M. Got any Boney M junkies, you know? Yeah, look at this. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I always love Rasputin. You know, rah, 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 anyway, we won't go there. But, so, so these guys, its just tough. They're singing Psalms of Lament. And so here is Ezekiel. He's on his 30th birthday. I mean, he's grieving. And he's feeling a long, long way from home. And, and God stuns Ezekiel with a costly calling, not to be a priest. Oh, mate, you know, I know you spent your whole life training for this. No, no, no. I want you to be my prophet. And I want you to actually preach a message um, of judgment um, to your own people who you're displaced with, to your own people who are uh, really doing it hard, who are greatly distressed, that the Lord God who sent them into exile, I'm coming in terrifying judgment. I haven't finished with them yet because they are rebellious and refuse to repent. Even still, and so no wonder at the end of chapter 3, Ezekiel sits scared and silent for a whole week. Back at the start of the chapter, we're told that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. Now, that's a classic calling card for a true prophet of God to sort of mark them out from the sort of charlatan false prophets of the day. And, but more literally, what the phrase means in the original Hebrew is the Lord himself, in and through his word happening to Ezekiel. It's sort of less about you know, coming from one place to... It's more about this, this, this event where you, you get sort of like overrun by, by, by someone. It's, I don't know, um, did anyone like, you know, used to go out to, you know, the dance clubs and you'd sort of go up to the big bass speakers. I know Richard still does this, you know. Stands next to them just so you can feel like... <laughs> like the woof and the vibration through your whole body... Like, and that's sort of what's going on here. This is like a whole of person happening experience for Ezekiel um, by his God. And so here's the question that I think we're tackling this morning. See, how is God going to get a grieving and gutted Ezekiel? How is he going to get him out of the starting gate to be his prophet? And more than that, as he gets knocked down time and time and time and time again, how is he going to... Um, like just keep him getting up again and keep preaching faithfully the message day in and day out for years until he tells them to preach that message of redemption. And you think, well, what's that got to do with us today? Well, friends, the last time I checked and read through a gospel, isn't the Christian call, isn't God's call just to be Christian, not to be a pastor, but just to be a Christian? Isn't it also a dangerous calling? And so from Mark 8, we read, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, For not just his disciples, but the crowd, If anyone would come after me, says Jesus, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake and the gospel's, We'll save it, Mark 8, 34, 35. See, see, whether you're here this morning just starting out in the Christian life or you've been on that narrow road for a while and you're trying to work out how on earth, how, how on earth can I just keep the faith? How can I keep going? How can I keep running my race and with vigour to the finish line? That's why Ezekiel chapter 1, I think, is, is, is so appropriate for us. And, and here's the thing, if you sort of can't wrap your head around anything else that follows with this vision, if you just, this one thing, take away from the passage this morning. I think this is why chapter one is here. Before God commissions Ezekiel to say or do anything, God overwhelms Ezekiel with the likeness of God's glory. That is... We live in a doing world, and I'm sure most of us here are doing people. Just tell me what to do. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? And how easy we can reduce the Christian life to doing stuff for God. But I know that the heart of being a Christian, at the heart of being human, the heart of being in relationships, and certainly with God, is about being. Being in relationship and knowing this God. Responding to this God. God is the gospel not doing stuff for God. No, that's not the gospel. God is the gospel and what he's done for us. And so let's turn our attention to, to Ezekiel and, and, and his God here in the first chapter. The vision begins with a storm, it ends with a throne. You've got the throne, theophany. That reminds Ezekiel and us that God is a holy judge. He's totally other from us. He's, he has all authority and power. And I think then you've got the writing on the storm, theophany. Theophany means God Sort of vision, you know, the appearance of God. It communicates that Yahweh is on the move, like Aslan, Aslan the lion um, in Lion, which in the, the wardrobe. So, a couple of observations from chapter one. You've got the four living creatures. So they dominate the first part, don't they? Four living creatures. Noted the repeated use of living. Of course, uh, here is Ezekiel and the people are over in Babylon. I mean, there's big statues all around them of, of, the, of the religion of Babylon um, with animal heads. I mean, and you travel a world. You, you, you go into you know, pagan temples and you see all sorts of statues with all sorts of animal heads and other things going on. And, and the point here is, of course, it's a vision of living creatures because he worships a living God. God is living and they've got four heads. And which way did you notice the four heads were facing on the four living creatures? Inwards or outwards? Outwards, yeah. And again, why is that? Well, I think it's outwards to the four compasses of the, of the world. Outwards to the nations. God's reminding Ezekiel and us that there is nowhere in the universe where God is not. That God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. That God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Always, Everywhere. And I think the, the, the image of the, of the four, you know, why these um, living creatures? Well, I think it's just to communicate that God has the strength and the majesty of the lion. Uh, that God is, he has the swiftness and mobility of the eagle, the procreative power of the bull, the, the wisdom and reason of humankind. Turning to uh, verses 15 to 21, we turn to the wheels within the wheels. And this is the particular part of Chris's drawing that I really want him, I really want to see. Uh, because I, it just seems that they defy the laws of physics. Uh, the Sort of the wheels in the wheels always going in every direction, uh, as it just does in my head But, of course, they enable the four living creatures and the throne they are carrying to move in any and every direction all at once, Always. You see, God's teaching Ezekiel us again that he is free and mobile and on the move. God is not and never has been tied or trapped in the temple in Jerusalem. God is coming and he's come to his exiled people in Babylon. God is present with them. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, his last words, I am with you always till the end of the age. He's bodily, bodily. Um, crucified, raised, he's ascended reigning at God's right hand with all power and authority over the nations uh, the father with and through the son has sent the Holy Spirit um, and through his word so Christ is with us through his spirit by, uh, by his spirit through his word did you notice though that what, did you, the worlds were being powered, empowered weren't they verse 20 Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And again, commentators agree that this is the spirit of the living triune God, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit who will revive, empower, and stand Ezekiel up, who will launch Ezekiel out of the starting gates to start preaching as as God's prophet, and will just keep standing him up and keep him preaching faithfully day in and day out. Year after year... And of course, it's, it's the same Holy Spirit who invigorates us and is with us and, and stands us up when we feel like we just can't do it for another day. When you just feel like, how do I do this? I'm just surrounded by people who are against me or they're having a crack at me or, or they're ridiculing you. Or How do you keep going? Well, it, it, By the power of this Spirit that we too can keep the face. We can keep serving with joy, Here at church and during the week, we can keep speaking up and speaking out for Jesus when we feel like, oh, it's just too hard. It's going to cost me too much. Well, from seeing the wheels, Ezekiel was hearing wings suddenly, verses 23 and 24, where we see that each creature had two wings covering its body and when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. See, this is a massive multimedia audio visual um, experience. Um, the biggest waterfall I think I've ever heard uh, is when I was a, a med student over in Africa, and um, it was Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe. And, and it was like, whoa, you could feel the power of the water as it hit the rocks, and you just couldn't hear yourself think, let alone talk, and, and, and it, was, it was just so powerful and awesome. Now, what I haven't heard is the sound of a very, very large approaching army. Um, but of course, Ezekiel has. The exiles have. As they heard the fearsome sound Of Nebuchadnezzar and his army getting closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem. A bit like the people in Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings as they hear the sound of annihilation coming at them. See, what Ezekiel is seeing and, and now hearing is not just God on the move, but God is on the march. God has come to fight. And he's come to fight for the holiness of his name, the honour of his name among his own people, that his name may be honoured and believed upon among the nations. It just reminds us that this holy, awesome God, he's come to fight for the glory of his holy name among them because he is a reigning, holy judge. Verses 26 to 28. And above the expanse, over the heads, there was the likeness of the throne in appearance like Sapphire and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearances of fire enclosed all round. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him. Now what's interesting is this, you know, Ezekiel's finding it harder and harder. The higher he goes and the closer he gets to the actual throne room and the glory of God, he's using more and more like words and likeness and appearance language because we know, no one can see the living God and live. And he's just. What's interesting here, of course, is likeness, similarity. That, that Hebrew word, it first occurs in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. When God created human beings in his own image or likeness, but you notice here in this in this vision God is appearing to Ezekiel in the likeness of a human being I mean glowing and, and fiery splendor and oh, in Daniel of course you've got the, the fiery splendor of someone like a son of man there in the furnace and and of course these I think a are, are, are pre-incarnate um, Prophecies really with the pre incarnate Son of God speaking, and, and, and that a day is coming when God is going to come, the incarnate Son of God is going to turn up, and the glory, the glory of this God, we're going we're gonna to see when the word becomes flesh. And of course, you've got the transfigurations, haven't you, up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, gleaming in brightness, they couldn't even look at him. And so here is God appearing to Ezekiel. Well, finally, the, the jigsaw pieces of Ezekiel's vision are complete. And he, you know, the penny drops that he's, he's seeing the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Wow. And again, it just reminds us, verse 28, God is majestic in his glory. Majestic. We can't even begin to fathom or behold his majesty, his glory. And he's come, and he's living. And so God hasn't given up on Ezekiel or his people. God, God hasn't been defeated. God hasn't been retired or canceled, as if, as if God's own people could, you know have a meeting and decide, oh, "I think we just might cancel God, you know um, As if the Babylonians, the Babylonians have defeated God, or, like, as if. See, what's Ezekiel's reaction to this vision? Well, it's the shock of realizing that his God, this God, he's come, he's here in Babylon with them to fight for the glory of his name among his people and the nations. And and it just hits Ezekiel like a freight train and he just falls down flat on his face, we're told. When I saw it, I fell on my face. In Luke 5, you know, Jesus has got into the boat to teach and then he's saying, mate, let's go out for a fish, you know, and... uh, Throw your nets in over there, and of course they pull up a big catch, nearly pulls the boat over, the nets are breaking, and then suddenly what's Peter doing? He's falling down on his face in the boat at Jesus' feet, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's just realised who's in the boat with him. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, when when were we... You know, last so overcome by the glory and the holiness of God in Jesus Christ. When did you last realise who's in your boat? <laughs> who's with you? The spirit of the living God. And fall down in adoration and worship and awe and have mercy on me, God, I'm a sinner. Because what else can we pray than for Mercy. And here's the thing. You see, this this is the God-honouring repentance and faith that this God has been on the lookout for for this rebellious people for decades and decades and decades. But they're they're hard. They won't even listen to God anymore. And of course, it's the repentance and God-honouring faith that God is on the lookout from, from us here this morning and from the people around us. And the people out in the outback, because this is the only response that is truly right and God-honoring and gives worthiness to who God is in his glory, is to repent and trust and believe and, 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 and worship this God. Well, let's speed up now uh, as we just skip a stone across the, the couple of ponds that are uh, chapters two and three. Uh, Ezekiel and God's mission for him there. Uh, to his people, takes up the rest of uh, chapters two and three. The vision, it's made it clear, hasn't it, that God's presence, it was first for continuing judgment, years actually. God's anger had fallen on Jerusalem, it's why they were there, but God hadn't finished with them. Um, It's not exhausted. And so Ezekiel is commissioned to be God's prophet, to launch passionate evangelistic appeals. And because he wants his people to repent, to believe, to know the incredible power of God's sin, cleansing, grace, and restoration, which, of course, Ezekiel preaches in the second half of his book. But, I mean, did you pick up something of just what a tough gig God is conscripting Ezekiel for? Like, I'll just read you a bit more of it from, from chapter three. And God said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. For you are not sent for people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language, whose words you cannot understand. For surely if I sent you to them, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they're not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Imagine that. Like, So he's saying, even though if I sent you to speak, preach to the Babylonians, even though they couldn't understand a word that you were saying, they would respond. But here you are, you speak the own language of your own people, but so hard are their hearts towards me and my word, they will not. When... Um, Antarctic explorer Ernest Shackleton, he was looking to build a team for his dangerous and daring sort of polar expedition at the start of the 20th century. He he supposedly, he placed an ad in the newspaper and the ad went something like this. People wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of darkness, safe return doubtful, (laughs) but honour and recognition if the expedition is successful. Now, Ezekiel's call and commission to be God's best bad guy to his own people, it teaches us, well, what Jesus taught. When you sign up to follow me, expect hostility and expect hard times. If you're going to choose each day to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow and fish of people with me, this is what you should expect, hostility and hard times. God clearly lays out the expectations for Ezekiel, but unlike Shackleton's ad, this is not God advertising or even asking Ezekiel, hey mate, look, if you're feeling like it, mate, you know. No, no, no. <laughs> this is God calling, compelling, conscripting, commissioning. And this is how the effective call, the effect, it's called the effectual call of God's grace When God calls someone to become a Christian, he's always effective. (laughs) Someone becomes a Christian because God wants them to be. As Steve McAlpine writes, everything that is hazardous about the gospel is in plain sight in the cross of the gospel. The rejection, the suffering, dying knowing that we are promised suffering on the way to glory. That is the path. That is a narrow way. There's no easy life than glory. It's deny, cross, suffer, glory. That's what the cross teaches us. If we're going to be willing to be ridiculed in the sort of the cultural stocks of social media or whatever, we're going to be willing to put ourselves out there to miss out on that promotion, maybe even lose your job, lose friends, be cancelled. Then we're going to need something of the resilience and grit that saw hundreds and hundreds of people sign up or, or try to get onto Shackleton's team. We're going to need something of, in fact, we're going to need more, aren't we? We're going to need the very spirit, the very strength of the living God if we're going to be able to do this. And here's the beautiful promise of Jesus, which is so much better than Shackleton's ad. We are promised a safe return home. Guaranteed. it. A couple of comments uh, as we sort of hover higher about Ezekiel and his book that you're all about to read this week. I know, I know. Um, As the next graphic shows, I think, um, as we uh, that Ezekiel's whole ministry will be framed by the glory of God in chapter 1. Um, that is, the, the glory um, of God that's there in, in chapter 1, this is what the whole book is about. And you can see there, you've got God's glory departs, you know, judgment is coming there um, with, by, by chapter 24. Then you've got judgment on the nations, um, all the nations are going to answer to God. And then you've got the restoration of God's people where you've got God's glory is returns. It's, it's promised that it's going to return one day. So it's the glory of God, this glory, it, it, it frames the whole narrative, the whole um, uh, essence of, of, um, of Ezekiel. And of course, all four Gospels record that this glorious God has become um, turned up in person. He has turned up to the temple. He has come again in Christ Jesus the incarnate son, and one day this incarnate son, he is coming again to judge the living and the dead and to save those who are waiting for him. You've got Ezekiel then and God's purpose for his people and the nations, and I've already alluded to this. See, why did God choose Israel to be his people then? Why has God chosen you and I to be Christian right now? Why does God discipline his own people so severely? Hebrews 10, why? Did, why? Why does it matter that we are courageous for Christ being the best bad people we can be in our world for God's honour? Because it's, I'm sure you've worked this out already, but like you being a Christian, it's actually not about you, it's about God strutting his grace and glory in your life. And as we gather here, it's like we, we, we are like the best living Louvre art museum in the world. Where God's grace and His glory is shining out as we minister to one another, and as that we take, we send each other out to be glorious in this world that is so unglorious, where people are condemned, living under the judgment of God, and 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 it's the message that w- that is in us that we have to preach and to share. That is their only hope. It's the only power that can make dead people to God alive. It's why it matters that we keep. We keep partnering, we keep sending each other out, but sending out CMS missionaries and and missionaries with BSA and just just sending people out. Because without this message, people really are without God and without hope and perishing and going to hell. It's just not about you and me. It's about God's glory and honour as this grace extends to more and more people. As more and more churches are planted, people are saved. Now, choose your own sort of summary verse or passage for Ezekiel. I've, I've settled on, on, on this one uh, from, from chapter 39. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will be jealous of my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practised against me when they dwell securely in their own land with none to make them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies. And through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Because I sent them into exile. Sent them among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore. And I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Of course, the Apostle Paul, uh, in his letter to the Ephesians, just in chapter 1, three times, he says that God does all things always for the praise of his glory. God strutting his saving grace and vindicating the holiness of his name in our lives, however painful that is, Whatever it means we have to turn from or miss out from, whatever desire we've got to say no to, whatever behaviour we have to stop. This is God doing his work of grace in and through us, helping us to run our race, doing what is not just best for us, but best for unbelievers around us, that they too can be saved and God can be honoured and glorified by them. And so as we finish, what is God's strength and mission for us? It's captured in a beautiful little phrase that just occurs more than 70 times in the book of Ezekiel. That you, they, will know I am the Lord. See, turn now and know the Lord or know who the Lord is when we're standing before Jesus who is Lord as our judge. Now, of course... God's talking not just about knowing stuff about God, which we are all good at doing, but knowing God, being in right relationship with God and and a relationship with God that is throbbing with life and growing and dynamic. I mean, it's going to be infused with trusting and humble, thankful obedience and intimacy and joy and awe and deepening love and reverence for this awesome God who is our God, the God who has come and died for us. And this is how we be the best bad guys and girls we can be for the sake of the lost and God's glory, whatever weather front is coming at us. It's, it's, we've got to let the glory of this God, this vision, just enrapture us. Just do whatever it takes to keep this God at the very front of our lives, filling our windscreens Because this is how we start well, it's how we finish well, and it's how we keep going in between. And friends, nothing will ever be more significant for Ezekiel and his ministry than this encounter with the living God. It dominates his whole ministry, the rest of the book. Did you know that Ezekiel's whole life in ministry and message is more uncompromisingly God-centered, more God-saturated than any other Old Testament prophet? And it's all because of this vision. And that's the key, of course, for us running our lives well, to be God-saturated people, God-centered people to the point where it again just dominates us, to keep God and his word at the very center of our life, to sit unhurriedly every day in God's word so that we can sit unhurriedly with the God of this word. Because I think if the Bible shows us anything about ourselves is how quick we are to forget, that in the busyness of life and the insipid, sneaky nature of sin, we, we can easily find ourselves just tempted to compromise just a bit, you know, fudge, cut a corner. just because oh, God's going to bend. It'll be okay. God will bend to my fetishes and my desires. And... But friends, as I've had to say recently to someone who is very precious to Gita and myself, as I've had to remind them, There is no compromise with Christ. You will always find compassion, but there is no compromise. Christ has been clear. He is coming to judge and to save those who are waiting faithfully for him. And perhaps this week, it could be a good week as you start reading through Ezekiel to take some extra time to sit deep and unhurriedly with the God of Ezekiel 1 and maybe the God we meet who we've already sung about from Revelation 4 and 5 and just let the vision of this awesome, majestic, glorious God wash over us uh, to allow the majesty and the holiness and the, the awesomeness and the love of this God who is just glorious to trickle into us long and slow and deep. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to recharge a deep cycle battery but that's the only way you can do it. Long and slow. You've got to trickle the charging. And I think that's what we've got to be doing as Christians if we're going to be going the distance so that we might keep knowing afresh every day that the Lord He is God.
0: We're gonna pray, yeah, Michelle, (laughs) thanks. Come on up, come on up. Let's uh, say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever, amen. Thanks, Michelle.
2: Let's pray together. Father God, We thank and praise you for your majesty, or power, faithfulness, and holiness. As we start our series on Ezekiel, we are so thankful that we have your word in printed form, so we can have the privilege of studying it through the ages and can learn from from it. Thank you for all the prophets whom you have sent to your people, and thank you that their words are meaningful to us today. Father, sometimes your word is difficult to hear. Send your spirit upon us that we may learn what it is that you would have us learn. Grant us the courage to be true to you in a world that doesn't want to know you. Father, we pray for our world, this place that you created to be very good and yet has been broken by our sin. With the ongoing pandemic of COVID-19 still raging across the globe, we pray for those where there is significant unrest, thinking particularly today of South Africa. Father, we pray for the provision of basic services and an end to the violence, which has cut off the provision of food and medical supplies and has all but halted the effort to vaccinate the population. We pray for the wisdom for the leaders of South Africa, especially President Cyril Ramaphosa, to know how best to manage the violence. We pray for wisdom for the people of South Africa, that they may realise that forming vigilante groups of armed civilians will only add to an already dire situation. We pray for the nation of South Africa, many parts of which are without communications, access to basic food, water and medical supplies, and where people are shuttering themselves in their homes in fear. We pray for a swift resolution of the violence in this proud nation, which is experiencing the worst civil unrest since the end of apartheid. Father, we pray for our nation, which has been fractured through this pandemic with much of the country under lockdown and significant restrictions on personal freedoms. Our problems seem so little in the face of events around the globe, and yet there is still significant disruption to how our lives were before COVID. We pray for the swift vaccination of our population to allow the new kind of normal in a pandemic affected world. We pray for the welfare of those who have lost income as a result of shutdowns, and we pray most especially for those who have lost loved ones. Please enable those struggling to receive the aid they need and grant all of us generous hearts to offer that aid where we can, be it emotional, spiritual, or financial. Finally, Father, we pray for all of us here at Trinity Church Allgate. Thank you that we have still been able to meet together today and we pray that this may continue. Thank you for all the Christmas in July gatherings that have happened or will happen over this weekend. Thanks for the opportunity they have brought to become better acquainted with other members of our church family. And we pray that those relationships may flourish. Grant that we, that we may be beacons of hope in the Adelaide Hills and wherever else our church members may be found. May our behavior and language always be honoring to our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray all these things in his name. Amen.
0: Thank you. Just while the band comes up, I want to thank everyone for contributing financially to um, support the ministry here. We couldn't do, do it without you, and if you're new and wanted to Kick in, and <laughs> there are the details. Thank you for that. Um, we had intended to have our Ezekiel Bible studies ready to go. We had an issue printing this week, uh, but they will be emailed in a PDF format on Tuesday, and we will um, have them here next week. Let's stand and sing our last song. Well we won't sing, but we will in our hearts, we will make music to the Lord. Ezekiel's chapter four to seven, the consequences of not changing. Please read ahead. And just as uh, it was the spirit of God who raised Ezekiel up to send him out to do the work that was required, let's send one another out with these words. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless.